Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. And today is a beautiful day in southern middle Tennessee. The birds are singing, the coffee's hot, and um, I am very glad to be alive today in God's good world. Um, things are things are not going so well in some other parts of the world, so um, I, I don't think I have to tell any of our listeners that we need to be praying for um, the situation in Ukraine and Russia and um, probably China and um, all that all that mess. Um, and it is a mess, and we just need to pray for level heads, clear thinking. Um, We've got a plane flying over, of course, um, so so there's that noise. Maybe my uh, audio engineer can um, can remove the plane or at least mute it um, a little bit. Anyway, we need to pray for level heads, clear thinking, um, calm, and um, as always, righteousness uh, to prevail in uh, in all of that stuff. I have some I have some friends who have friends. In, in the Ukraine, and so um, I, I won't say that I know anybody in Ukraine, but I do know, uh, I do have some friends from that part of the world. Um, so um, we're, all, we're all very concerned. We're very concerned about what's going on for the people over there and um, the bigger issues of what that might mean for the rest of us. And, and um, so we're holding that all together prayerfully as we, as we can. Uh, this is episode 81 today of the Jesus Society podcast, and i um, going to have some coffee. Uh, today, we're going to continue uh, talking about what it means to follow Jesus in the 21st century, and we're, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to continue to build, sort of build a case here where, where there's, there's some there's some background stuff that we need to continue to deal with. We dealt with some of that last week. We're going to deal with a little bit more of that this week. Um, but um, this is important, I think. Um, um, Jesus said in Mark 1, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And we've got to understand something about what that means. If we're going to follow God, we have to understand what he's up to, right? And the point that we tried to make last week is that in Jesus, God is at last coming to fulfill some of his age-old promises, his, his promises for Israel, his promises for the human race, uh, his purposes through Israel for the human race, and through the human race for the world. Because God is, this is, an, this is another kind of thing, God is not going to save us from creation. He's going to save us for creation. That's an important distinction. Um, read Romans 8. It is quite clear there that God's desire is to liberate the entire created order from its slavery to decay okay, and corruption. And the, and the whole of creation at present is kind of like Israel in Egypt in slavery or like Israel in Babylon, in exile. And how is God going to renew all that? How is he going to fix all that? How is he going to straighten out the mess? Well, God is persistent in his desire to do that through renewed human beings. 
Um, because God is, God's intention is, in fact, to straighten out and renew the whole world. And he has declared that intention by raising Jesus from the dead and giving him a, a renewed human body. And here's, here's the thing. We're going we're gonna to talk more about this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out in quickly right now. The thing that we, that we often miss when we think about Jesus' resurrection is that Jesus, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, his resurrected body, the new, you know, his body was different. His resurrected body was different. That's clear from Scripture. But the thing we often miss is that that is, that is the prototype of what God intends to do to the whole world. Renew it. Restore it. Recreate it. Which is why in Colossians 1.18, Paul says that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Right? He's, a, he's the prototype. His what how God recreated and renewed his physical body in the resurrection is exactly what he's going to do with ours at the at the at the end and what he intends to do for this whole world okay there's a lot we can learn about that we're going to be saying more about that but in the present time God transforms and renews us so that we can be part of his transforming and renewing project for the whole world. That's, that's the call to discipleship. It's not just, and, and this, is the way we, this is the way we talk about things sometimes as Christians. Um, it's, it's not just come with me, there's this beautiful disembodied bliss at the end of things where you can just sit on a cloud and play a harp all day. That's not New Testament theology. That's not the, the hope and the promise that the New, the New Testament holds out. The call is to give our unyielding allegiance to Jesus and then by the power of the Holy Spirit and by obedient yielding to the Spirit's prompting in us to become genuinely transformed human beings. People like Jesus, people who who live like Jesus and love like Jesus, okay? The kind of genuine human that God always intended for us to be before the fall. And then as a kingdom of priests to become God's a part of God's renewing project for the whole world. So how does all that work? That's what we're going to kind of try to start unraveling here a little bit um, today. Uh, but first, I want to chase a rabbit, a little rabbit. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit, uh, just for a few minutes, about... Is, I want to address the question, is Jesus relevant even to us in the 21st century? Because there's a lot of people who, while they will, they will acknowledge that Jesus was a great teacher, but, you know, as a first century Jew, how on earth can he be relevant to us? I mean, you know, we've got different problems these days. And, of course, we, we understand science and, and technology and psychology, physics and human population dynamics, things that, that people in the first century world just didn't understand. So how on earth can this first century Jew possibly be significant for us in the 21st century? Well, there's a lot to be said that, that we could say about that, but what I want to say is that, that to think of, just to think of it that way really misses the point of Scripture. We have got to see Jesus in the context of and as part of 
the whole biblical story, not just an, an isolated piece of it, okay? In the way the Bible story works, and we touched on some of this last week, the whole history of creation is funneled down onto and represented by the story of Israel, okay? Um, God calls Abraham to be the means of rescuing the human race by forming a, a people for his own possession, to be a light to the nations. That's the, that's the point of Israel. That's what Israel was always supposed to be in the world. And I did an episode about that um, a, a while back, if I can remember, because I didn't put that in my notes. I'll try to remember to put that episode in the show notes. But the promise, that's the promise of Genesis 12, Right? Um, that um, God calls Abraham and says to him, I will make you a great family, and through your family, all people on earth will experience the blessing of God. But then Israel misses the mark too, right? They, they crash hard, <laughs> and they end up in exile because of it. And Daniel himself in the midst of the exile says, there is going to come a time when God himself will become king. God is going to take command. He's going to right this ship, right? And then there are those, those strange promises about a new coming king, a Messiah in Psalm 92 through 99, Isaiah 52. We talked about all that last week. But the way the biblical story works is that the Messiah represents Israel. The, the Messiah, Jesus, is the culmination, the fulfillment of all that Israel was supposed to be. And the Messiah also represents Adam and Eve. In other words, all of humanity, as we were supposed to be. Okay? So there's a, there's a funneling down of all of these failures and problems of the world onto the person of Jesus, who shows us all what humanity and Israel and indeed the whole world was supposed to be, what God intended that they be. Now, the church, and I'm speaking about the church very broadly here, okay? Uh, the church has often kind of short-circuited that biblical story. Um, we, we've had a tendency, I think, to kind of pull Jesus out of the story of Israel and treat Jesus, the Jesus story as just sort of a, a thing all by itself. Um, the, the, you know, there have been calls, um, uh, Andy Stanley, I think, and I've mentioned him before, um, recently talked about, not recently now, I suppose it was a couple years ago now, about how we, we really just need to divorce, uh, cut off, the, ignore the New Testament or, or the Old Testament. You know, it's not relevant for us anymore. We're New Testament people. And now with Jesus, we can just ignore all that. Well, I've heard people say that too. I've heard people in, in the church say, we're New Testament Christians. You know, that old stuff has been done away with. That is so short-sighted. It, 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 you can't make that statement except from a place that just is, is ignorant of what the Old Testament story really is, okay? Um, we, we, we say sometimes that Jesus is relevant just simply because he was divine. You know, he's the son of God, so, so of course he's relevant to us. Well, that's true, of course, but telling the story that way is is just so 
um, abbreviated that the story doesn't make much sense and it loses a lot of its power. Here's, here's what it's like. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like, um, it's like trying to tell the story of the Lord of the Rings, okay? I'm, I'm assuming that you are all familiar with um, uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, books and movies. So it'd be like trying to tell the story of the Lord of the Rings by saying this. Once upon a time, there was a hobbit who found a ring, but thankfully, his cousin took it and destroyed it, and so everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> now, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing untrue about what I just said, right? Now, every, every, every word that I just said is true, right? All of that is part of the story. But, but you're missing so many of the details of that story that the story loses all its power. See? Like, you just, you just can't do that. It's the same way with the Bible. To just pluck the Jesus piece out of the whole Bible and say this is, this is everything without understanding how that fits with the rest of it and, and the, how it's... You know, the New Testament repeatedly says that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. Well, if you don't understand the, the, the backstory, you can't possibly understand what it is he's exactly fulfilling, right? So I, I am, I am uh, strenuously advocating a, a, um, a perspective that says we have got to be people of the whole Bible, and we need to do a better job as Christians in understanding the Old Testament. Okay? We just do. We, we, we've ignored that to our peril. And we have got to do a better job of understanding the Old Testament. I'm just, that's my stake. That's, that's one of my several stakes in the ground that I'm willing to die on. Okay? The way the Bible tells the story is that the story of Israel and the story of God's work in the world both intersect at the, at the same point, and that point is Jesus Christ. The extraordinary story of the New Testament is that the story of Israel's long-awaited Messiah who will set Israel free from bondage and the story about God coming back in person to reign as Israel's king both come together and meet in the person of Jesus. That is important. Okay, so that was my that was my little um, uh, little aside there, my rabbit that I was chasing. Back to the idea of Jesus going around and, and calling these twelve people, which is where we've started with, and we've we've taken a circuitous route through all this. Um, hold on, more coffee. That was so good, I'm going to have a second sip. Oh my. Goodness, goodness, goodness. Um, okay, so Jesus calling these 12 um, people, and, and 12 is not an accidental or insignificant number, by the way, right? Um, Jesus was calculating, like everything he did was for a reason. 
And the reason 12 is a significant number, obviously, if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes in Israel, right? And as Jesus calls together these 12, everybody, everybody in Jesus' day who saw him calling 12 people, they actually knew what that meant, okay? This is about the restoration of Israel. Here's the thing. Jesus is reconstituting Israel, the renewed Israel around himself. This is very different from the way we talk about this sometimes as Christians. Very different. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christians have this idea and say regularly that um, God got so frustrated with Israel and their failure to be what he wanted them to be that he just cut them off and decided he was going to do something new, and that new thing is the church. Israel didn't work out, so God's going to do, you know, build the church and make the church, and they're going to do a better job. That is such a... Like you, that, that's not the story of the Bible at all. The story of the Bible is God, God chose to work through Israel, and he didn't give up on that. In the person of Jesus, God reconstitutes Israel reframes Israel, okay? Um, Israel's going to be bigger and, and better because now Israel, and the New Testament makes this clear in so many passages, Israel is, Israel is people who are um, uh, allegiant to Israel's king, Jesus. And that means ethnic Jews, it means Gentiles, it means anybody. It's not about it's not about um, a DNA anymore, okay? But God is still working through Israel. But it, and if you're a Christian, you are Israel, okay? Um, so many people were on tiptoe in Jesus' day, waiting for God's people to restore it because that was how God was going to do the thing that He promised to do. So for Mark and the other gospel writers, Jesus is restoring Israel to restore the world. That is what the kingdom of God means. And Jesus is calling helpers for that task. And if you haven't picked up on the clues, again, all of the followers of Jesus then and now are the restored Israel. And again, you can see that all over the New Testament. Okay? And I won't go into all that here because I did a whole episode about that, which I'll put that in the show notes. But Jesus is calling these 12 as the start of his kingdom-building, creation-renewing project. And obviously, this is an outward-facing endeavor, which is why he says, come with me, he tells them, and you will be fishing for people. But... And this is what gives so much of the gospel its dynamic drive and, and, and its, its impetus. What Jesus is telling them about the kingdom is, is not what they expect. And it's not really what they want. Okay, The point of so many of the parables that Jesus tells is to say, listen, I'll tell you what the kingdom of God is like, and it's not exactly what you're expecting. Um, all of those parables about sowing, for instance, like, like in Mark chapter 4, those look back to stories in the Old Testament where the prophets say that one day after the exile, God, Israel's God, 
will sow into people again and the fields will be full of corn and wheat and, and new plants will come up. It is, a, it is a renewal kind of a promise. And Jesus is tapping into that imagery when he tells those, those parables about sowing. And he says, yes, God is in the business of sowing and harvesting, but this one's going to get choked out by weeds. This one's going to get eaten by birds. This one's going to get trampled, but there will be some that bears fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And so he's saying, in other words, that yes, God is doing what he always promised, but, but don't think for a minute that this is going to be easy or that it's going to look exactly like you wanted or that you're going to be able to just sit there kind of smugly with, with God fulfilling your agendas. And honestly, folks, I think God tells us that in every generation. Don't think that I'm just going to come and, and bless the plans that you dreamt up last night or last week and that I'm going to get on board your agendas all the time. Now, he may do that. He may be giving you plans and dreams and hope that you will gloriously fulfill at some point. But in my experience of nearly 30 years in ministry, I think sometimes God allows us to, to dream great dreams and have great, great plans so that a little later on we'll, we'll actually do the much harder thing that he wants us to do, which was not really what we signed up, up for and, and not what we would have signed up for, but that actually ends up yielding much greater fruit. And in fact... If you'd, again, if you'd have known that, if you'd known what he was asking, you might not have signed up for it. But I think, I think God works like that often. Okay, so, so what does God's kingdom agenda look like? How is God actually going to renew the world through his renewed people? Well, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, is the battle plan, I think. Um, that's the place where he lays it out clear. When Jesus is calling people to follow him, he takes them away and he says, now look, here's the agenda, and that's what he did there. And as we read the Beatitudes, for instance, at the, at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, and we start thinking about it, I think, I think too often we, we kind of read those things and see them as, well, this is kind of an impossible ideal, you know, ethically. Blessed are the pure of heart, we read, and we think, well, that lets me out right from the start. I mean, I'm not that. Or blessed are the merciful, and we think, eh, I'm, not, I'm not, very, not doing very well in the mercy thing. Or blessed are the peacemakers, and we think, yeah, that's, just, that's not me at all. As, those, as though those things were just mere moral qualities and either you have them or you don't. Or, or maybe, because we presented them this way, maybe these are things we just really need to work on, we need to grind away at and try to become more merciful and, and a better peacemaker. And maybe that's the point of it. But folks, that is just not how this works at all. People, people often say, particularly when there's some kind of tragedy, like maybe what's going on now in the Ukraine. Well, if there was a God, he would just step in and stop this. If there was a good and loving God, he wouldn't allow this kind of stuff to happen. He really should have prevented it to start with. 
God should prevent bad things from happening, particularly bad things happening to good people. He shouldn't allow terrorism in his world. If he was really king, he wouldn't allow that. We say things like that. You've probably said things like that. I've said things like that. The problem is that when when people imagine God in our world, what they what they kind of imagine is is sort of a faceless CEO sitting in the in the upper office someplace pushing buttons to make things happen. And if those things don't happen, well, we think he's incompetent. Um, it's like uh, Woody Allen said one time that he thought God was kind of an underachiever. <laughs> but that but that idea of God as sort of a celestial CEO is just wrong. People want God to send in the tanks when something goes awry and just sort things out. Shock and awe, you know. Crush them under your thumb. Because, in fairness, there's passages in the Old Testament that kind of sound like that, right? But the kingdom of God, and this is, this is so important to understand, the kingdom of God has a different view and vision of power. And it goes like this. When God wants to fix the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the pure of heart. He sends in the meek. He sends in the peacemakers. He sends in the the hungry for justice people. And by the time the the power brokers and politicians wake up and, and, and see what's actually happening, what's going on, The meek and the brokenhearted and the peacemakers have built schools and hospitals and are looking after the poor and the the downhearted. And it starts then to look like maybe God really is... I forgot to put my phone on silent. Sorry. It's my brother calling. Should have done a better job at that. Can't edit that out. I don't think. I don't even think my. Uh, I don't even think my expert audio engineer can edit that out. But we'll see. But it's going to stay in there because I'm not going to go back and re-record all this. So, hey, life happens, right? It happens even here at the Jesus Society podcast. But coffee helps. Okay. So, so God sends in the, the meek and the lowly and the, and, the, and the brokenhearted and the peacemakers and the hungry for justice people. And by the end, it starts to look like maybe God really is in charge after all. And if you start to look around in, in your world, wherever you are, and you usually have to look for it. Um, you know, it's, it's like uh, uh, um, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers said uh, one time, he said, whenever something bad happens, look for the helpers, right? Look for the helpers. That's where the real important stuff is going on, right? And, and so you have to look for this stuff. Stuff like this just doesn't get in the newspapers very often, and, and, and we don't even talk about it in our churches as much as we should. But if you start to look around, you will see people functioning in the world as kingdom of God people where they are. Humble people getting on with the Sermon on the Mount work. And they're usually not 
doing it with a lot of hype. I got more to say about hype and the, and the plague that hype has become in our world. That's down the road someplace. Um, but that's what we're called to do. Not, not hype, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount stuff. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus called his first disciples to do, to be part of the renewing new creation project. And you can only do that as you are nurtured and nourished by Jesus, as you spend time with him, enjoying his love and learning his ways. And as we'll see, you can only do any of that because of what happened in Jesus' ministry. Um, and, and what happened in his ministry was dependent on what he was going to do on the cross, breaking the grip of the power of darkness, which kept the world in slavery and bondage. And so there's the call then to take up the cross. There's the call to abandon everything and follow him. So for instance, in the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, uh, the, the guy says, well, I've, I've kept all the commandments. I'm good, right? And Jesus says, well, just one more thing. Why don't you sell everything you have and then come follow me? And the guy lowers his head and he walks away ashamed and disheartened because he just can't make that kind of sacrifice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a person, he bids them come and die. And as T.S. Eliot said, it, it is a condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything. And this call of Jesus is both radically inclusive and it's also very exclusive. It's exclusive because Jesus' way is the only way. He is the sovereign king. We follow him. And his agenda is the one that, that rules, right? But it's inclusive because everyone, literally everyone, is welcome. So you think about Matthew, the tax collector, and I guess I think about him because, you know, the chosen. We, we've, and we've talked about the chosen. We did a whole series about the chosen. Um, and if you've watched the chosen, and if you haven't watched the chosen, you should watch the chosen. Matthew, the tax collector. Nobody wanted to be Matthew's friend, and you see that so clearly in the chosen. Nobody wanted to be his friend. He was a traitor. Um, nobody liked him. But Jesus called him to be one of the 12. Radically inclusive. But here's the thing. Inclusion in the kingdom of God is always transformative. When Jesus says, you come with me, you don't stay the same. You don't get to say, okay, but I'm still going to be a mean grouch. I knew a guy one time who was appointed an elder of, of the church against my objections, by the way. And he was that kind of person. And, and people made excuses about him. And they said, well, you know, that's just the way he is. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just the way I am. Just doesn't work in the kingdom of God. Especially when you're talking about church leaders. Jesus takes us all just as we are. And thank God for that. It, we, we don't have to be perfect to, to, to be a Christian, right? Um, some people think, well, I'll, I'll become a Christian when I get some things together. That's not how it works. 
You, 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 like, you, you're never going to get there on your own, right? Jesus takes us all as we are, thankfully. But he will not let us stay that way. You will be transformed, radically transformed from top to bottom. Every single one of us. That's how it works. And it works that way because Jesus has a purpose for us. Okay? One of the, one of the key passages for me in all this is um, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 24, where Jesus, raised from the dead, meets his disciples in the upper room. And he, and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And those two words, those two little words, as and so, tell us everything we need to know. Because the as, as the Father sent me, that means we go back through Jesus' ministry and we study prayerfully, alone or in a group, maybe with your whole church. You study all the ways in which Jesus was doing what he was doing for Israel, healing and teaching and celebrating, mourning with the mourners, rejoicing with the rejoicers, and giving them more to rejoice about. He's out there explaining in, in story and symbol that God was becoming king. And this is what that looked like. And we look at that and we study that prayerfully. And then we ask ourselves, what would it mean in the power of the Spirit for us to be, for today's and tomorrow's world, what Jesus was for Israel? What would the kingdom of God look like in Nashville, in Pittsburgh, in the Ukraine, in Russia, in Sierra Leone? What would the kingdom of God look like when we're faced with all of today's just unbelievable horrors and injustices, with social and, and civil unrest and disturbance, disturbance and turbulence of all sorts. They had all that in the first century too, by the way, in spades, and actually far worse than anything we've got. And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's a big, complicated thought. And sometime I'll talk more about that. But this work is about human beings come face to face with the reality of who we are and the reality of who God is. And in God's new creation, there's only room for new creation. There's no room for people to come and say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves, it all, loves us all, so who cares how we behave? No. No. This is radical stuff. Radical forgiveness leading to radical holiness in the service of radical mission. As the Father sent me, so I send you. 
And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. We're going to keep moving with this series. Got some good stuff coming up. Um, uh, I hope you'll join us. Stick around for this. I think this is really important stuff. As always, we'd appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please rate and subscribe and review, you know, wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever. Um, please visit us on our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. And look at our website, um, the one-stop shop for all this stuff, uh, thejesussociety.com. Um, you can find us on YouTube and Odyssey as well. And you'll find us there if you just search for us. If you would like to support the show and my related ministry, um, you can click on the support TJS link on the Jesus Society website uh, to find out how to do that. And there's links to all this stuff in the show notes um, for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember... You are greatly loved.